Hi everyone, it's Sophie here. Just wanted to let you know about another podcast I host. It's an S-Pod thing, revisiting every episode of S-Club 7's insane TV show. With a different guest each week, we analyse the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. This is Sex and the City for kids. None of this makes any sense. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge-watched this, anyone who's not on drugs. Listen to It's an S-Pod thing wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Smashed Prawns in a Milky Basket, a podcast about the work of comedy writer, performer, director, and all-round genius, Julia Davis. I'm Sophie Davis, no relation, and on each episode, I'm joined by a guest to talk about a different show created by Julia Davis. This is a side special about psycho bitches, and my guest is writer and founder of The Velvet Onion, Paul Holmes. So in this episode of the podcast, we're talking about something that's Julia Davis related because she's part of the cast, but it's not a show that she created herself. It's Psycho Bitches. And I wanted to talk about this because it's a show that I think is quite underrated, not very well known. But if you're a Julia Davis fan and you like women doing sort of dark, but also silly comedy, I think you'll probably enjoy Psycho Bitches. Uh, For anyone who hasn't heard of this before, it's a sketch show that aired on Sky Arts. It started off as a pilot in 2012, and then it ran for two series in 2013 and 2014. It was directed by Jeremy Dyson of The League of Gentlemen, and the conceit of the show is that it's a therapist seeing various patients, but all of the patients are famous women from history, or sometimes from fiction. Uh, Rebecca Front plays the therapist, and the patients are played by lots of different women and occasionally men. The cast members who crop up the most frequently playing multiple characters are Sharon Horgan, Katie Brand, Samantha Spiro, Francis Barber, Michelle Gomez, Selena Griffiths, and Julia Davis. Uh, So to talk about Psycho Bitches today, I'm joined remotely by Paul Holmes. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Good to hear from you. I was just thinking, I don't think I've ever said the name Psycho Bitches out loud that many (laughs) times before. It feels weird. It's one of those ones where if you try and talk about it in regular conversation, you get a look of sheer confusion and fear from people. Yeah, and if you sort of Google it, it feels a bit sort of porny, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I I do wonder what what Google are making of your search history and what adverts they're going to put at you. If I remember rightly, I think in the TV guides, it would often be sort of starred out as far as I remember. Mm, mm. I wonder if if that's one of the reasons it's so obscure that nobody dared say its name. (laughs) I don't know what else they could call it, really. It is quite an out there title. So um, you're a fan of the show. Did you watch it when it first aired? I did, yes. Um, it was just one of those shows that we I used to um, like to shout from the rooftops about and say, please watch this, it's hilarious. And and I kind of, I didn't see the Playhouse Presents series that it was originally part of. I only saw a mm-hmm. couple of those. Um, so I kind of found out which ones were interesting and watched those. And that was just the one that I saw. And then as soon as the series was on, it was it was absolute must-see viewing. Yeah, I, I think I came to it a little bit later. I 
I think I got Now TV in, I don't know, maybe 2015 or something like that. And that's when I watched a lot of Sky stuff that I'd missed over the years, like Hunderby and things like that. And yeah, Psycho Bitches was one of those that I watched then. So I sort of binged them as far as I remember. So since this is a a Julia Davis podcast, we'll, we'll talk about some of Julia's characters first and then move on to other stuff. Course, uh, she yeah. appears in every episode of series one, but she isn't in series two at all. I'm not really sure why. I'm guessing maybe it just sort of clashed with something. I don't know. Do you know at all? I don't actually. Um, I I assume that she was busy on something else. Um, Julia being Julia, she's always been constantly working on another project or something. So yeah, it would make sense. Yeah, but we get a lot of her in series one. First of all, I think this is my favourite one of hers, uh, Sylvia Plath. Yes. <laughs> Such a wonderful, wonderful hybrid. Yeah, is it sort of, it's Pam Ayres I've read online. And to be honest, I'm not that familiar with Pam Ayres, so that's not something that I noticed, but that's what I read. But it still works, even if you're not aware of that, I think it's still funny. Oh, absolutely. I think it's sort of... I, I find Sylvia Plath in herself is quite a, a quintessential Julia Davis character. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. she's there's all the kind of stuff about having clinical depression and and having electroconvulsive therapy, and it sounds like someone that Julia would play in a kind of black comedy anyway. Um, but then yeah. Pam Ayres is like the complete polar opposite of Sylvia Plath. <laughs> um, she's kind of a... I think she's Bristolian. She's definitely from the Southwest and is just kind of... She sounds it, yeah. Yeah, just that kind of Cornish almost. Happy-go-lucky, everything is nice and simple and fun. Um, And just that mixture of these two poetic gods, I guess, of a different, of a very different world. It's, it's, it's a wonderful mix. And it's that, it's that thing that Julia does well, where she turns it on a knife edge and just becomes someone completely different but it doesn't feel unnatural. Yeah, it's brilliant. So Sylvia Plath comes into therapy because she's wondering if she can cheer herself up by writing about happier things, which is ridiculous to start with. And she's come up with this new persona where she puts on her dead mother's dress and hair and she starts reciting these initially quite light poems that just suddenly get really dark. There's a poem about a pig where it starts off really cheerful and then it just sort of ends with her screaming like a pig hung in the darkness over and over again (laughs) i'll probably put a clip in here because it's so good but i love the bit where she you think it's over and then she just goes and fear comes in strums a lullaby of nothing it's just horrifying oh i am a farmyard poker all pink and sweet and warm, with a curly little tail just like a corkscrew. And I trip about the yard on my dainty little trotters, unaware of where I'm headed come the morn dew. I have no thoughts of bacon or of sausage or of gammon. I'm ignorant of pork chops and of tripe too. But that van'll come a-callin' and I'll be hauled within a squealin' And they'll slit me throat and hang me till the blood spews. Like a torrent from my neck. They say black pudding is the best. 
and the darkness will just take me, take me, take me. A pig hung in the darkness, a pig hung in the darkness, in the darkness, in the darkness, in the darkness, and fear comes in strums, a lullaby of nothing, a pig strung in the darkness till it dies, oh fuck! I think a lot of psycho bitches lands this way, that it's just these absolute madcap extremes and and these these brilliant comic women just going hell forever and enjoying i think it feels like she's enjoying the chance to just be silly um mm-hmm. without any kind of i don't want to say it's without complexity because some of it is very very clever th- that's going on but because there's no huge backstory and narrative to keep going you can just have these little moments that wouldn't sustain past this one sketch and just have fun with it and i think it's yeah. probably the only time i i think she's done anything like that is maybe big train yeah just for that ability to just be a, an absolute lunatic for, for two minutes at a time you know yeah i think rebecca front's got quite a tough job here because she's sort of the straight woman in every sketch but she gets a lot of laughs out of her just her reaction to things and being very sort of unimpressed by these ridiculous things in front of her. But I'm guessing on set, it must have been quite difficult because if I was her, I would have just wanted to laugh at all these ridiculous things happening in front of me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Rebecca Front is just an absolute legend. I feel like she's a national treasure that we don't celebrate enough. Um, I kind of, I don't remember a time where I didn't think she was amazing. I think even back when the day-to-day aired and then she was in um, Knowing Me, Knowing You. And and from there, really, just whenever I saw Rebecca Front's name on on the cast of something, I knew that she would be brilliant in it. And and normally she's, it's weird. I mean, if you look at her now, and I think the last thing I've seen her in is that Hugh Laurie show, um, what's it called? Um, Avenue Five. I don't yes, know if you've seen yeah. that yet. And she's very much playing the brash, like American tourist in it, and she's very big and very bold. And it must have been really odd, I guess, to sit in a room and not become one of those mad characters and have to keep it on a on a level, you know. And there's very, there's a few moments throughout the series where the therapist does let let loose a little bit and has fun. And I think she probably really relished those moments to just be a little bit silly in return. Yeah, you know? I think there's one where she sort of starts dancing a bit, isn't there? Is it when they're doing that Egyptian dance, yes. she gets up and starts joining in with Cardinal Burns? <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I think she must have gone, oh, why not? This is, this is my chance to just do something <laughs> a little bit different. Yeah. The, the next Julia character is Enid Blyton who's in therapy because uh, she says she has issues around goblins. And obviously Enid Blyton now is known to be kind of racist and anti-Semitic, even by the standards of her time, as far as I'm aware. She goes into this big rant about goblins saying, you know, they're they're crafty, they run toy town, (laughs) they only employ other goblins. It's not subtle, is it? It's not remotely no. subtle, but it, it works. Yeah, and then it has that punchline at the end where she actually is talking about goblins. <laughs> and it's weird because I I re I rewatched like the entire series before we did this, 
and I'd forgotten actually that they redo Enid Blyton in the second series um, with another actress. And I can't for the life of me think who it is, but it's a very different performance. Is it Miranda Richardson or if I'm, is that someone else? No, I don't think she is. I don't think she's in there. But it is, it's somebody completely different. And, and it doesn't, mm. it, I mean, no disrespect to that actress, but it's, it's a very different performance and it doesn't have that repressed firmness that Julia does so well. That's kind of, she's, she's managing to stay completely calm whilst having the most delusional, like, almost... I mean, if she was on YouTube today, she'd be Alex Jones's number one subscription. Like, it's that <laughs> level of, like... But but she's she doesn't get angry at any point in it. She just stays completely on a level. And it's, it's a really kind of cold, almost calculated performance, really. Yeah, definitely. It's, she's quite stern and, and scary. <laughs> you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of her. That's one of the things she does so well is <laughs> that that slight fear about who she is and who this character could be at any moment it's one of those things i love about her work yeah definitely the next one is joy adamson who i had to admit i had to look this person up because this show's very sky arts isn't it it really yes. expects the audience to have a lot of cultural references and, yeah, and there's some yeah. of them I didn't know. Like, I I didn't know who Joy Adamson was. I don't think you need to know to find the no. sketch funny, but it does give you another layer once you understand who these people are. Um, it was almost educational in, in a way that you were like, who is this person? And you go Googling them to find out. Yeah, because before each sketch, it does pop up and it gives the name because we get to see the therapist's notepad. So you, if you catch the name, you can look it up if you if you don't recognise it. But yeah, I like to think that I know who most people are, but there are maybe two or three people in this who I had to look up. But yeah, Joy Adamson is apparently known for raising a lion cub called Elsa and releasing her into the wild, which some people are probably listening to this now going, yeah, of course that's who she is. <laughs> Why have you not heard of her, Sophie? But like, just reading that now, it just sounds yeah. a bit mad, like someone's it, just made it up. I mean, right now with, with Tiger King, it seems very, very relevant. You know, <laughs> maybe it's the next series to be to be made. Yeah, I don't know. the proto-Tiger King. Yeah, absolutely. The kind of most famous thing when I was looking her up, because I didn't know who she was, is that um, her life is the basis for the film Born Free, where the, there's a song called Born Free that is kind of one of those old standard ballads. Yeah. Um, and Brian May once did a rather corny version of it as well. So I kind of, yeah. I was aware of the song more than yeah, the story of, of this person, really. Um, yeah, in this sketch, she's, well, first of all, she's making noises that her lion cubs make and explaining to the therapist what they apparently mean. So again, that's very silly. Just sort of Julia Davis and Rebecca Front making these weird noises at each other, keeping straight faces. And then in part two of the sketch, She's holding what seems to be an actual lion cub. It looks like th- a real lion cub. I think it, it is. Yeah, I think it's a yeah. genuine cub. So you know, Maybe good on, good sc- on her for bravery. Sky money. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have a tiger in in a later episode, don't they? they have a jag? No, it's a jaguar or something. Oh, They've yeah. got. I can't think what the sketch is, but somebody's. Um, it's one of the Samantha Spiro characters, and she keeps seeing a, a big wild cat everywhere she yes, goes and yeah. there is actually a real wild cat <laughs> so, 
So she's holding this little lion cub, which it made me quite jealous, really. But the, the cub doesn't look like it's having a great time. She goes to put it back in the cage and gets kind of mauled off camera. And then she comes back and it's kind of like the knight in Holy Grail saying, oh, you know, it's just a scratch. It's nothing, really. And the therapist is like, do you need to go to hospital? And she goes, no, it's just a friendly cuff. And I think that's what, I, I mean, I don't know about Joy Adamson, but I think a lot of these people who have animals exotic animals are like that certainly from tiger king recently but also like do you remember what were they called sidfried and roy um like i think they would just get mauled by their pet their like lions in Mm -hmm. vegas and just oh it's just another day (laughs) that's what you do (laughs) got up got mauled this morning i don't know it's it's uh it's a weird world when you're a you look after massive animals that could kill you, I guess. They just kind of excuse it, like, oh, they're just showing me that they love me. Yeah. But I suppose it's like, um, like I've got a cat and he's got no teeth because he's an old man, but he bites oh. me or he tries to bite me when he's annoyed. And I'm like, oh, you can't, you can't even like sink a te- tooth into me. It's just gums. So I guess it's just the extension of that that they become yeah, these. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Strange. <laughs> <laughs> So after that, we get Brummy Helen of Troy. This is my favourite uh, by, yeah. by an absolute country mile. I, I love this character. Yeah, it's a little bit Jill Tyrrell, I feel. Obviously not the accent, but the way she's saying things like, yes. um, well, well, the therapist says to her, where's your happy place? And she goes, in front of two mirrors, because I like this side, but I like this side even nicer. <laughs> I love it. I just love when she's like explaining, like, my mother was a queen, my father was a swan, so of course I'm, I'm beautiful. <laughs> and you're like, what? Yeah, that was good. My mother was a queen, my father was a swan. <laughs> Obviously, I'm attractive. <laughs> and it's it's the the little touches, like, because the whole point is that she's this brummy woman who, who men desire all around the world, and she's got lipstick stuck all over her teeth. And mm. she's kind of really, she's got spots that she's really badly concealed. And it's just those little extra touches of the, the physicality of it that really sell it. Yeah, yeah, really bad makeup going on. They've managed to make Julia Davis look really unattractive, so they've done well there. Yeah, she's talking about, oh, you know, women are just so jealous of me. There are all these downsides to being so beautiful. Wars have been started because of my good looks. And yeah, there's another bit as well where the therapist said, what's your earliest memory? And she goes, in the nursery, all the other girls were being a bit catty because of this and points at her face. <laughs> it's, just, oh, it's just magnificent. Why is this show not more more popular than it is? Yeah, I do. I like that take on Helen of Troy. Because I think often with Psycho Bitches, you know, obviously the sketches are very short. There's only so much you can include. And I feel like sometimes the sketches kind of do the joke that you would expect yeah. like oh you know it's it's helen of troy she's known for being beautiful so in psycho bitches she's actually not beautiful at all and it seems like quite a sort of obvious joke but it always works i think and the performances really sell a lot of the material i feel yeah definitely i think it helps that it's ge- it's made by a lot of genuinely talented people. Like obviously, you've got Jeremy Dyson directing it, but also I think he he wrote a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. You've got people behind the scenes as well. Like Lucy Montgomery is one of the mm-hmm. key writers on the show, who 
you know, when you run out of Julia Davis podcast material, Lucy Montgomery is a good one to follow because <laughs> she's that, again, it's that ability to just lose yourself in a character. And I feel like, you know, Holly Walsh is a writer on it. They're just, they're all very, yeah. very talented people who just know how to pinpoint a joke. Um, and it really helps that, yeah, like you say, sometimes they are really obvious gags, but it's almost like, like, you know, when you watch, I don't know, a cartoon or something and you know that Tom and Jerry is going to fold out in a particular way, but you don't mind because you're enjoying the the, the story. Like, whatever whatever TV show you watch, when it's it's a very predictable plot every week, it's almost like that in micro form, that mm-hmm. you don't mind if the joke is predictable because you're having fun with it. I yeah, think the big, exactly. the good example in comedy, actually, is probably the fast show. And I think about it because, you know, every every sketch of the fast show ended with the same punchline every week. But the mm-hmm. joy was figuring out how you they would get to the punchline. And so I guess it's just that. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. That is one good thing about Psycho Bitch is that I hadn't really thought of before. With a lot of sketch shows, they sometimes get a bit repetitive, don't they? Because they revisit characters. Yeah. I, I don't want to sort of slag off any sketches, but sometimes, you know, Little Britain, it would get a little bit repetitive. Like, you know what's coming. You know what's going to happen at the end of every sketch. It's the same characters in every episode after a certain point. Whereas, oh, yeah, that is something about Psycho Bitches I hadn't really realised until now, that it is very varied. There's no revisiting, you know, no, punchlines exactly. from before. It just keeps sort of churning out all this material into over two series. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well with all sketch shows, I've never seen a sketch show where every sketch is good. Um, Mm -hmm. I think every single sketch show, even the greatest sketch shows ever, have got truly awful sketches in them at some point that you just think, this got in because you ran out of ideas and you needed needed something that was low budget and you could put in, in 20 minutes of writing that would just fill that gap. And it, and it shows sometimes. A lot of shows famously have that episode five syndrome where mm-hmm. they kind of stick all the worst versions of the sketch in, say, episode five, because by that point, you've already got the audience that you're going to get. Like, it's not going to, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to grow anymore. So there's always like one really bad episode. And I don't mm-hmm. think Psycho Bitches has one. I think it's quite varied and they, they've managed to lace their slightly weaker sketches throughout the show rather than dump them all together yeah and the cast isn't the same cast as well sometimes someone will pop up for just a little one-off cameo and you're like oh it's johnny vegas that's interesting this is it it's such it's such a crazy crazy cast but that reminded me of um in that mitchell and webb look there's a sketch where it's them behind the scenes looking through the script and marking out which are the hits and which are the misses. It's like absolutely it's, they make true. A, they make a joke out of it like, oh, we've, we've got to include some misses. And I think Robert Webb is like, but why are we including the misses at all? And David Mitchell is like, it's a sketch show. You have to have hits and misses. That's how it works. <laughs> it's 100% accurate. It's so true. And and I think also it makes the hits feel bigger. Uh, it's almost, I think I'm slightly cynical about it and assume that, sometimes they leave them in um in the same way that some bands will play a show with a slightly weaker support band than they could probably get because it makes their set look even better (laughs) i just feel like there's a there's a level of shrewdness to it yeah i've heard of stand-up comedians doing that a little bit as well when they're picking their support act Mm -hmm. 
which may, yes. it kind of makes sense, but yeah, it's a little bit harsh. <laughs> 100%, 100 So Julia's final character is Mary Pickford, the silent film star. All of her dialogue is done like a silent film where, you know, there's music and her lines are coming up as captions and it's black and white. And again, this is something quite different for Julia because it's all just to do with the facial expressions, which, well, a lot of her characters I feel are quite deadpan, like Jill Tyrrell. Uh, so seeing her do all these sort of exaggerated faces, quite interesting. Yeah, it's it's a really kind of, again, it's one of those moments where she just gets to let loose and have fun. Yeah, she's talking about how men keep tying her to railway tracks, uh, she says, seven times this month. And the therapist asks her, well, um, are you attracting these type of men or are you attracted to these type of men? And she does a sort of dramatic faint. It's just it's just so silly. And the, the wonder of it is, is I, what I really like, and it's a silly little thing, but it's the fact that when it cuts to Rebecca Front, she's she's still in widescreen colour HD <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's not happened to her. But you can still kind of... And, and they, they kind of turn the piano music, that silent movie piano music, down so that it's there, like she can hear it because she's watching this happening in front of her. It's just, it's that really subtle difference that just makes it Yeah, she throws a, a custard pie at her as well, doesn't she? And again, that comes through in colour on Rebecca Front's face. It's just brilliant. Um, I can't remember, but was there was a black and white um, thing that Reese Shearsmith did for With BBC. Sally Phillips. Yes. Yeah. And I think it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. For mm. the life of me, I can't think what it was called. I just remember watching it at the time and thinking this is this is fun, but it was like it was a one-off little thing, wasn't mm-hmm. it? It didn't it didn't stick around. Um Yeah, I think it's probably on iPlayer, I guess. Yeah, tucked away somewhere. <laughs> so that's all of Julia's characters. What what sketch do you want to talk about now? Are there any other particularly oh, memorable ones for you that are favourites? So many, so many, <laughs> and some of these, some of them are available to see on YouTube. So if you don't have Now TV, you can see them. Some of them aren't, and it's uh, it's funny because Psycho Bitches is stuck in this middle land at the moment where Series One you can go off and buy digitally, and Series Two you can only watch on streaming, and it's never been sold so i'm kind of hoping that it doesn't disappear like series one has um, because i I don't i do go and revisit this show a lot my absolute favorite is michelle gomez as mary queen of scots yeah that's Um, a good one i think honestly it's i i mean i've watched a lot of comedy as you know sophie but i think it might be the thing that's made me laugh the most in the last 10 years (laughs) I I so rare that I have to pause what I'm watching because I'm laughing too much. Um and that was one of them. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's um well the whole joke of it is that she well, she's speaking with a very, very strong Scottish accent, so that she's almost sort of unintelligible, but you can make out what she's saying and she's sort of swearing a lot. As basically asking the therapist for drugs, isn't she? But yeah. there's these subtitles on the screen translating her, but they're saying things that are much politer than what she's actually saying. It's really yeah. good. And it's just, it's it's all of those. It's the way that, that she's using really thick, like Glaswegian slang as well. And she's just really going for it. And then the subtitles are just incredibly prim and proper. And I can't, 
I'm not going to up the rating of your podcast, but there is a particular cutaway later on where they ask her to describe herself in five words. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the the subtitle says something like, go away, you nasty woman. Or something. <laughs> That's not what she says. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a magnificent moment of, of comic filth. Um, yeah, and one of my she's terrifying favorites. as well. Her face is just absolutely like, really scary. I'm convinced that Psycho Bitches was probably the number one reason she ended up being cast as Missy in Doctor Who because <laughs> maybe she spends most of her time in Psycho Bitches, and it's probably like the year or two before she did Doctor Who, um, just being villains, like famous villains throughout history. Her Margaret Thatcher is terrifying (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's the it's the greatest impression of margaret thatcher i've ever seen but they've kind of made her out to be almost like a serial killer yeah she's brought in like hannibal lecter isn't she (laughs) like strapped to a thing with a sort of muzzle on her face and it's margaret thatcher that alone is just a sketch in itself and then she's sort of talking to her in a sort of um I don't know what it's called now. One of those police interrogation rooms because obviously she's a dangerous criminal who's been incarcerated. And it's it's like she's talking to her about the concept of love and how it's not real. And it's just <laughs> this incredibly evil sounding speech that sounds like something she would have actually said. That's the crazy part of it. The only thing I would say that's wrong with that sketch is it does that horrible thing which almost every sketch show does at one point and turns into a vomit gag. And yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like unless you're Rick, Rick Mayle and Ian Edmondson, you should probably vomit and bodily functions alone because it, it never really comes off well. I, yeah. I mean, I, I love Cardinal Burns, but I know they had one where they were just two detectives. I don't know if you saw this. They were two detectives looking at a crime scene and they just kept being sick over and over again. Oh, yeah. And it just went on and on. And it was like, you're so funny but this sketch isn't. <laughs> and, it's, and it kind of, I always get a bit like, oh, really? Do we have to go to the vomit? Because the rest of the Margaret Thatcher sketch is, is sublime. And, and it's it's one of those moments where it just quite goes the wrong way. But I yeah, still I sort it. of block that bit out. But yeah, I guess that, that might be why, because I'm, I'm choosing to remember the beginning bit because it's such a good gag when she comes out as Hannibal oh, Lecter. So good. So good. I really love Sharon Horgan as Lenny Riefenstahl. This might be because I studied German and had to study this film at uni, but she's talking about how she came up with this rom-com called The Triumph of the Will. She's like, I pitched it to Goebbels. He loved it, but he suggested, (laughs) could Hitler play the best friend in it? And she was like, yeah, sure. And she says they shot the film and then it just got completely ruined in the edit. I just love the idea that Lenny Riefenstahl wanted the triumph of the will to be a rom-com and then somebody (laughs) edited it into this Nazi propaganda (laughs) film where it's literally just Nazis marching for about three hours. Oh, it's so strange. I just, the, every now and then, but there's moments of Sharon in that show that you just kind of, it made me realise that she should have been a bigger star than, like, the star she is now should have happened 10 years earlier. Like, she just shines. Yeah, she really gets to show range in this as well because she isn't really someone who's known for sort of doing a lot of accents and voices and crazy characters. 
Like she's mm. she's great in everything that she does, but she is generally uh, you know, an Irish woman. Whereas yes. in this, she's sort of well doing all sorts of things really. She's she plays Eve, like Adam and Eve, as a sort of Essex girl who's that. upset. <laughs> like as if she's sort of just made a mistake on a night out, but it's actually that she's damned all of humanity. <laughs> oh, it's just it's just brilliant. And I love her um when she does Karma Miranda and she's like yeah. refusing to accept that that she's got a real problem and her maracas are full of drugs. <laughs> it's just, kind of... <laughs> it's just That's so a silly. Good and I really like when she plays um I forgot her name, but the lady who wrote um, Black Beauty and yes she's I've forgotten the of, name as well but she's yeah. got like hands that are basically horse hooves and she's <laughs> she's she's basically suggesting that Black Beauty is is like her fantasy because she wants to be a horse and it's all very very innocent and weirdly charming yet also creepy and it's that yeah. weird line it's, it's just what this show does so well um my app my other absolute favorite across the entire series, um, is Katie Brand, who I adore anyway. She's one of the most wonderful people on this planet and should get far more rep than she does. But mm-hmm. her Mary Shelley is <laughs> wonderful. She plays her as like a, a Mancunian goth. Um, yeah. <laughs> she's like, you know, my monster comes to life, right? And he's killing everybody. <laughs> He's kicking on, he's punching on, he's setting shit on fire. <laughs> it's and I, I mean, I, I live in Manchester and I've, I've frequented many a rock bar and I've known these women, <laughs> and I know that they really do exist. And they get when they get drunk, they start telling you about that story that they're going to write and it's going to set the world to right. And it's just, and she does it so well, but she's constantly like playing with a knife. And then yeah. flicking into that despair that's at the base of Mary Shelley. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Yeah, Katie Brand is so good in this. Uh, I like her Diana Dawes just kind of <laughs> stuffing her face with pork pies for some reason. And she wants to be Marilyn Monroe, but she can't, but she won't accept it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's wonderful because they do get to the kind of tragedy of these women. Like, mm. But poke fun at it at the same time. It's like, is it Sharon D. Clark who plays um, Ella Fitzgerald? Yeah. And yeah. she just, eventually, she just goes, I've got depression. <laughs> She's really like, matter <laughs> of fact about it. And it's just, it's just a nice look because, you know, I say this as, as, a, as a white man, but history has been written by white men about white men. So it's mm-hmm. quite nice to have someone celebrate the other side yeah a little quick Casey brand one that i like is jacqueline dupre because she doesn't even say anything in this sketch all she's doing is making facial expressions while sort of playing the cello but it's just so funny oh, purely God, from yeah. the facial expressions again this was someone who i had to google <laughs> yeah but she's really good at it. it's like the little one and i think it's only like two short scenes of george elliott where yeah. she's in drag, essentially, <laughs> and trying to go, I don't need to see myself as a man. And then she holds up a, a, a fake moustache and a pipe. <laughs> it's just, what is this nonsense? <sighs> yeah. So, so throughout this show, some people are kind of 
doing direct impressions, some are being a bit more experimental. And obviously with some of the characters, we don't actually know what they sounded like. So the actors can do whatever they want, really, like the uh, Brummy Helen of Troy. But as someone who does really good impersonations, I think is Samantha... I've just realised I've never said her surname out loud. Is it Spyro or Spiro? I'm not sure. I don't know. I've always thought it's Spiro. But she is she's brilliant in this. I hadn't really seen her in much prior to this show. Um, but everything I've seen her in since, I've just gone, oh my God, it's you. <laughs> because she was so yeah. good in this. I um, could watch her do anything in this. I, I think before watching Psycho Bitches, I'd seen her in Grandma's House, which I really oh, loved. Yes. I I feel like I should revisit that at some point because I remember loving that at the time. It was that Simon Amstel uh, sitcom where he was kind of playing a version of himself and Samantha was playing his sort of weird aunt. But she was brilliant in that and she's brilliant in this as well. She plays a lot of these sort of old Hollywood types like uh, Judy Garland, Elizabeth Taylor, uh, Audrey Hepburn being really sort of annoyingly quirky and whimsical. She comes into the office on a motorbike and goes, I've just knocked over a policeman. <laughs> <laughs> and then blowing bubbles in Rebecca Front's face going, they're beautiful, aren't they? <laughs> just fantastic. I like that take on Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's one of those things that every single... I think every actress in this does a brilliant job, even the ones that are in kind of the one-off characters. Like, I adore Lisa Tarbuck's um, Mm -hmm. Miss Muffet. Yeah. Um, Just because it's so silly. And and she's got a real talent for comedy, but she doesn't really get to do it very often. Mm -hmm. I know she was brilliant in the League of Gentlemen special, you know, and it's kind of, yeah, because she's in that, the line dancing sketch isn't she with um Mm -hmm. charlie and stella and i just feel like she should do more comedy because she's brilliant but even like sophie ellis bexter is in this which is the most random bit of casting (laughs) and everybody's just great you know yeah it's the uh the mitford sisters isn't it doing a bit of a song and one of them is sophie ellis bexter I think Alexa Chung is in a sketch at some point. The yeah. girl with the pearl earring. They've got yeah. everyone in this. I guess that's the beauty of doing these sketches. They can probably just get someone in for a day and then that's it really. So it's probably quite appealing for them. You know, they can just turn up and do this sketch and then go home. Absolutely. And and it means they can get some real like A-grade cast in there, you know. I mean, you've got Kathy Burke does quite a few of them. Um, Catherine mm-hmm. Tate's in a lot of them. Like it's it. There's you know they're not dropping the ball at any point. Sheridan Smith does a a fun Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> you know it's, <laughs> it's it's a really good collection of 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 talent. Really, I think one of my favourite moments because it's just so silly is Jack Whitehall walks in dressed as Princess Diana, <laughs> and he he's come early for his appointment, and he goes too soon and Rebecca Front goes yes and he just leaves <laughs> it's so good and it's so it's so true but wonderful. whoever came up with that sketch must have just gone home for the day after they yeah. did that <laughs> they were oh, like, too soon yep I've done it there that is a good one and it is true because there aren't many recent people in it I think the other one that's kind of really contemporary is Anna Nicole Smith 
who has probably felt yeah. like more fair game. <laughs> you know, but Morgana Robinson, who is just a great mimic anyway, as Anna Nicole Smith is hilarious. Like when she's she's trying to convince Rebecca Front that um she should be interested in older men. Um <laughs> and she's like, You would you would do Patrick Stewart though, wouldn't you? He's 74. <laughs> <laughs> everyone kind of everybody kind of goes oh yeah kind of would <laughs> yeah she's kind of interested isn't she she's like oh yeah i would go out with patrick stewart <laughs> and that's a great physical performance as well because she's sort of writhing around on the floor and everything isn't she but it works constantly and there's a really good moment where she tries to suggest that um it's it's very sexually arousing to walk with a cane and she uh, like, <laughs> and she kind of does like a like one of those four way walker type things, and she manages to mime it brilliantly. Like how how to how to walk on one of those four like proper walkers sexually, <laughs> which I didn't think was a thing, but apparently it is in Morgana's head. Yeah, Morgana Robinson is also Mary Magdalene and plays her as this sort of foul-mouthed sex worker who the therapist is trying to convince to stop but she doesn't want to she's like I think that's one of the most kind of dirty sketches really because some of the things she says and it's Mary Magdalene you're like oh my god yeah they're really pushing pushing the boundaries of some of these I really like her as oh what's she got Venus not Venus de Milo what's the the woman in the um yeah the one with the clamshell thing yeah I my our cultural knowledge just failed us tonight but that (laughs) that piece of art with the clam lady yeah um, I think um, it's Venus something. Yeah, it must be Venus. Is it just Venus? Maybe it is. They sort of they like wheel her in, don't they? <laughs> oh, it's just it's just wonderful. This this show should be bigger. And also, I mean, I was thinking that my my other absolute favorite is the one and a few that they I think they know it's a hit, so they return to it a couple of times, and that's the Bronte sisters. Yeah, and it's it's Katie Brand. It's Oh, what's her name? Uh, um, Selena Griffiths. That's it, Selena Griffiths, and and then it's Sarah, Sarah Solomani. Yeah, who I don't know which one of them steals the scene the most, but I think it might be Sarah Solomani when they're talking because they've all got these broad like Yorkshire like accents, and then they're talking about this and that and the other, and two of them are really really loud. And then she's playing Anne Bronte, and she just kind of really quietly goes, I've been to Murfield. And it's the <laughs> creepiest, like, wry <laughs> smile. <laughs> just... I know, she's looking directly into the camera and just saying things like, because they're being really dismissive of her, aren't they? Because yeah. she's the sort of third Bronte sister, and they're all squabbling, trying to outdo each other. And she's like, I wrote a book too. <laughs> It's so, so good. And then they have that weird flight of fancy in the second series where um, Charlotte has a dream and they all sing a song. And it's just the stupidest, stupidest song. I absolutely love it. Yeah, the tune has been in my head for about a week now where it's kind of like da 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 up on the moor. <laughs> but one thing that we haven't mentioned actually is the fact that they they have their heads 
pushed through the sofa and then they've got these little kind of puppet bodies with their arms being operated by someone which i don't know who thought of that but it's such it's such a strange idea or we've yeah. got the three bronte sisters but we're gonna make them all really tiny like they're puppets <laughs> with human heads i love it i love it so much and there's a similar sort of there's a similar gag with the three um like queens who've been beheaded and it's yes. um doom mckick and michelle gomez and and then they've got katie brand in the corner again as um medusa just staring at a mirror <laughs> really intently yeah it's a sort of headless woman workshop or something isn't it and they can't figure out what they've all got in common with each other yeah is it marie antoinette who's just like do we like cake (laughs) no no no, that's not what it is oh it's so good a few other ones i've got written down are sharon horgan as simone de beauvoir which i think is in the very last episode she's writing a new book and she's talking the therapist through the plot and it's just a really standard romance novel like i love the idea that simone de beauvoir's new book is just like a normal book and the therapist is getting weirdly into it. She's like, oh, and then what happens? Oh, he goes to meet her at the airport. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think there's a single episode that doesn't have something that, that everybody should see. Like, there's a mm-hmm. sketch in every single one that's just wonderful. Um, I I think I worked out that my absolute favourite episode... Like, if I was only going to say what one episode, it would be episode four in the first series, because that's the one that's okay. got Helen, Helen of Troy. It's got Mary, Queen mm-hmm. of Scots. It's got Mary Shelley. Um, it's got Eve, the Essex girl. <laughs> and also it's got, what's he called, Ted Robbins doing Emmeline Pankhurst yeah. as if she was Les Dawson. <laughs> and And everything about that should annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> the concept that you've got this this suffragette legend played by a man in drag, but it almost feels maybe I was reading too much into it, but it feels like a commentary on how like women in seventies comedy didn't really get anything to do. Like all mm-hmm. the funny female characters were men in crap drag. It was like Monty Python doing like oh what a lovely lady and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> or it was yeah. it was Les Dawson doing that. And there was no, like, women were just there to be busty characters almost. And I don't know yeah. if that was what they were trying to get at. I really don't. I'd love to know. But it just, he does such a good Les Dawson impression that it somehow works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's um a few men pop up throughout the series. Uh, we get all of the League of Gentlemen included. Um, mm. Obviously, Jeremy Dyson's the director. He makes a brief little appearance, isn't it, in, in the Bronte song? I think he makes yes. a little... Yeah, cameo, he's, doesn't he? he's the guy who's had too much sauce <laughs> it's just oh yeah frantically drinking something <laughs> but yeah we get reese shearsmith as old mother shipton pretty unrecognizable really he's got lots of prosthetics on mm. but yeah you can tell from the voice it's uh reese <laughs> shearsmith and steve pemberton as someone else who i had to look up diane fossey oh yeah well i mean i'm a big um gorilla enthusiast i love gorillas um and she right. she's um she's played by sigourney weaver in the movie um gorillas in the mist 
which is a great film. Oh, you, should, okay. you should watch that. <laughs> I think I've got a, a gap in my knowledge of people who look after wild I animals think you for do. some reason. Well, Diane Fossey and Joey Anderson. <laughs> The, the, there's a strange link to my past and, and comedy in here in that um, the Diane Fossey's charity um, is still in existence and mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a run that happens every year in London where people dress as gorillas and do like okay. a little run for this charity and um, I did it with a bunch of Mighty Boosh fans once and we all dressed as different bolos oh brilliant <laughs> so so i was dr bolo from the punk episode um with a, with a lab coat and a mohawk um and we, we had like the prison bolo and everything oh it was great <laughs> oh that sounds good yeah so that's how i knew who she was <laughs> <laughs> didn't she um she sort of her and joy anderson sort of both died in suspicious circumstances i found yes yes um i think they i don't know about joy um but definitely um she was killed by yeah Yeah. she was probably murdered by poachers because she was very Mm. you know trying to protect these these gorillas in in the wild you know she sounds interesting i'm gonna look into her a bit more i think oh she was brilliant but yeah speaking of the league of gentlemen uh mark gatiss also shows up with francis barber (laughs) and they're playing joan crawford and bet davis being really sort of passive aggressive with each other comparing books that their daughters wrote about them and it's sort of the episode ends with them having this brawl really doesn't it where they're throwing oscars at each other and one of them throws the um hollywood walk of fame star and impales the other one (laughs) it's such a good sketch because they're both just going for it like full Mm. pelt there's there's no and it's so i mean betty davis and, and and joan crawford are just camp as all hell anyway and and but they really do they've been parodied so much in various like media like i know french and saunders do a brilliant version of them yeah somehow this is just as enjoyable like it's not it's not got boring yet watching people do those characters i don't know why you know yeah mark gatus looks like he's having a great time yeah He's got that sort of Val Denton voice going on, that sort of deep woman's it is, voice. Isn't it? It's very Val. Yeah. Um, I also remember actually thinking about Reese Shearsmith crops up again in um as With Kathy Burke. Yeah, yeah. as Mar- Princess Margaret. And that's a brilliant sketch, <laughs> just in itself. Because <laughs> she's trying to compete for the Queen Mum's affection. Um, because she's only got room for one daughter. <laughs> And she's like, no, 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 I love Liz, and then I love my corgis, and then I love Margaret. And she's like, oh, you love me? No, oh, no, Margaret who works at Oddbins, not you. (laughs) It's really, like, dismissive of her own daughter. It's a nice little double act as well. I'm not sure if Kathy Burke and Reese Shearsmith have ever done anything together other than this that I can no, think of. But, but they should. I, I quite, it's a strange little pairing, but it, like, that is such a funny sketch. I think that's one that comes up on sort of Google Images a lot when you look up this show because it's so unusual as an image. Yeah, Kathy Burke is the queen mum. It's the most perfect casting as well, you know. And I think my, my image of the queen mum in my head is not the reality of the queen mum like it's always been the spitting image puppet 
of the queen yeah. mum who's kind of you know always always holding a bottle of gin and ooh, and 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 somehow Kathy Burke has usurped that in my brain so that now <laughs> when I think of the queen mum I see Kathy Burke first <laughs> I don't know why that is but uh, Andy Nyman also shows up who's another regular collaborator with Jeremy Dyson he well he actually plays a man he plays Henry VIII and I think at another point he's Sarah the wife of Abraham yeah, and the Henry VIII is with Dustin Denry Burke. No, it's um, it's it's Seb Cardinal. Isn't Seb it? Cardinal. Yeah, it's like a couple session, isn't it? It's so good, and he's sort of like a downtrodden Anne Boleyn, <laughs> trying to get through <laughs> to Henry, who's this sort of chavy, like yeah, right, whatever, blood. <laughs> I don't know what he is, but he's just and he's kind of mentally moved on, and she's trying to get his interests back. It's brilliant. And Seb, Seb Cardinal actually does a really, another one of my favourites in this, which is Janice Joplin. Yes, yeah. Um, Cardinal Burns appear, I think, probably the most out of all of the men, really. They both crop up a few times playing different characters. And yeah, Janice Joplin, that is a good one. It, it's the the way that they've kind of turned her into a teenage American girl. Yeah. <laughs> like, I drew this picture for you. <laughs> You can keep it. It's just—it's so ridiculous. I love it. That was one of the ones like when I was thinking about like fate, my favorite sketches. Like that just popped in. Um, mm-hmm. And and also another one is Dune McKicken as the Statue of Liberty. Oh yeah. Which I'd completely forgotten about until I I watched the show again. I just forgot that was a sketch, but it's so good. She's just like a really arrogant French woman. <laughs> Yeah, and she's kind of racist against everyone who isn't French, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just so silly. And and then there's the other one that I remembered, which is just such a mad moment in TV, is they do a sketch about witches. Mm-hmm. And you've got Kevin Eldon as a witch. I can't remember what who he is, but he's kind of painted with a white face and and then you've got Matthew Bainton from Horrible Histories mm-hmm. as, um, oh, what's she called? The Witch of Wookie Hole, I think it is. Yeah, And yeah. then you've got, um, again, Cardinal Burns. And I don't know who the actress is because I don't think they're credited. I think it might be Lisa Tarbuck again, but they're like a free-headed witch. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, just Richard E. Grant comes in as the Witchfinder General and you know when you kind of if you tried to explain this to somebody <laughs> who'd never seen the show, you were just like and then Richard E. Grant comes in as the Witchfinder General is just it's almost a punchline in itself. Isn't it the very end of the whole show as well? Is that right? The very final bit is him coming in and he sort of takes Rebecca Front away, doesn't he? <laughs> it might be actually, yeah. It's, it's definitely... quite a bleak ending. <laughs> Maybe that's why there wasn't a third series. He he actually <laughs> is the Witchfinder, and and uh, that was the end. <laughs> I think just two more I've got written down. If you think of any others you want to mention after this, but I've got um, Sharon Horgan as Cleopatra talking about. Oh, there's this guy. I've got feelings for him. He's my brother, <laughs> <laughs> and she wants to take it out of the sibling zone. She says, oh. and the therapist is like, no. And she also is good as uh, Eva Perron as well, who's talking about how humble she is, but it keeps referring to herself in the third person and bringing out this massive 
bottle of champagne from her handbag. Like, oh, Eva loves her bo- her boobles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just so good. I was just going to say, I think the very last one I've got written down that I'll mention, because there's so many, it's hard to choose, but... This really made me laugh for some reason. Uh, Samantha Spiro as Queen Victoria. She's talking about how she's been having these dreams, which clearly have loads of sexual imagery in them. But she's like, what do they mean? And the bit that really made me laugh is she goes, I can see a knight with a lance coming charging towards me. A gardener offers me a huge marrow. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous. There's there's another the the one other one that springs to my mind actually is is Selena Griffiths as um, Beatrix Potter, where she just has that yes. bizarre dream sequence where she goes into her fantasy land and all the kind of animals they're basically humans with animal heads dancing like the Beatrix Potter ballet that went, was out there and then all of a sudden the fox is just pissing up a tree and then <laughs> somebody pours cucumbers onto a woman's umbrella. <laughs> And then, then it goes to like a World War One trenches scene, and someone's being bayoneted repeatedly, and it just gets darker and darker. The rabbits are sort of like mating with each other as well, aren't they? <laughs> it's just so weird, and it's like, where did this come from? And then again, it's you can't really say anything about the punchline without spoiling it, but it's just the that it just goes on this incredibly weird, dark journey, and somebody in that writing room just got very, very giddy, I think. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's just go go there. Yeah, definitely. So um, any last ones before we finish? There's too many to mention, really. There's, there is. That's the thing. And, do you know, the, the best thing about the show is I think everybody who watches it has their own different favourites. There are some mm-hmm. that always come up. Like, I think everybody loves the Bronte sisters. You know, but I do think that there are some that you'll just you'll take to your heart and and will become the one that you love. Um, yeah, Lenny Riefenstahl really tickled me purely because I had to watch Triumph of the Will in university, and it's just so long and so just Nazis. <laughs> I love the concept <laughs> that she pitched that as a rom com, and it got <laughs> ruined in the edit. <laughs> That's magnificent. And it is, it's a shame, really, that, you know, the series with Julia on is now only available to buy. Um, and you can only buy it if you go on to, say, iTunes or Google or Amazon or something like, and pay for a download of it. It's, mm-hmm. It feels like it... it, it I'm, I, I kind of want it to still be available so people can see it. Um, yeah. But I guess it, it is a punt to spend... You know, nine it's something like nine pound fifty to buy the series on, on on a digital copy. But it's if you're a fan of her work and you haven't seen this show, I do think you should absolutely check it out. And even if if you just like some of these women, I mean Rebecca Front, Katie Brand, you know, Doom McKicken, Michelle Gomez, if you if you love any of these women, you should absolutely have seen this show. Um, because they all just get to let loose and have fun. And if you've got something like Now TV, you can just watch Series 2 if you want to because it's a sketch show, you know. It's not the sort of thing where you have to watch it in an order. If you watch Series 2, obviously you miss out on Julia, but maybe if you watch Series 2 first, if you've got access to Sky or Now TV, and then buy Series 1 afterwards if you enjoyed it. Both series are as strong as each other, I think. 
Oh, absolutely. I think I think each one has its has a couple of weak points. You know, I won't I won't mm. lie. There are no sketch show is perfect, as we were saying, but the hits are such hits. They're such magnificent highs. And it is I I'd forgotten this until I was looking back over my archives, but it did it did win the Golden Rose at Montreux. Oh, okay. In twenty fifteen. And it beat inside number nine. Wow. So a jury thought this was a better show than possibly the greatest comedy of the last decade. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's, if you can think of any higher praise, you know, a Golden Rose is, is very, very prestigious to win. So that's kind of a, yeah, an definitely. impressive calling card for the show. If we haven't persuaded you already, watch it, mm-hmm. watch it, watch it. <laughs> so before we finish, um, do you want to let people know where they can find you on Twitter and that sort of thing? And if there's anything you want to plug or recommend? Um, yeah. Um, so you can find me on Twitter under the name Didymus Brush. Um, Didymus is in Sir Didymus and Brush as in Basil. Um, <laughs> and I normally just waffle about comedy drag doctor who bowie just culture i'm just that kind of person um and always have been yeah and then the only other thing i would say is another show if you've got now tv and you're investigating and you want something else to watch is i would say to watch um sarah kendall's show um frayed Mm, which is like an australian co-production it's got um diane morgan in it it's got um robert webb in it um Mm -hmm. it's got a little brief moment from rufus jones um but it's essentially um it's set in the 80s and sarah kendall is a uh kind of rich um woman who has married into money um and her husband dies in a bizarre sex accident and all her Mm -hmm. money is swindled away from her and she has to go back to her tiny little town in the outskirts of australia and rebuild her life and it's sort of a comedy drama about that and it's just wonderful and again because it's on now tv and not netflix it feels like nobody's really seen it um yeah do go and check it out if you if you've got now tv and you want something else to watch that's the best thing i can recommend right now yeah and since you mentioned rufus jones i'll recommend that people watch home on all four two series if you're thinking, I don't know who Rufus Jones is, he's in Hunderby and Camping, you'll definitely know his face. He wrote and created Home, and it's about a family who come home from holiday in their car, open the boot and find that there is a Syrian refugee in there who then goes on to live with them. It's really funny, really moving. Two series, I, I'm recommending this because I literally just finished series two last night, so it's still <laughs> fresh in my mind really good series so i recommend everyone watches that if you want something to watch home and frayed thank you for listening to this episode of smashed prawns in a milky basket you can find us on twitter at julia davis qotd and you can find me at it's sophie davis this podcast was edited by alex bondek with original music by martin ford and matt bond